good afternoon, uh, everyone. We are together again for our wonderful Friday afternoon Arab Shabbat Torah class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida, and the spiritual guide for the Hemisphere program. Be sure to ask us about both uh, if you're not familiar. Today, we will be having the Henry and Lisa Manashuri Parsha Shir on Parshas Vayera. Uh, in addition to thanking uh, uh, the Manusheris for their anchor sponsorships, we would like to invite anybody else who wants to sponsor an event or co-sponsor an event to please let us know, as there are a lot of critical programs uh, which we are working with, and all support and involvement is much appreciated. Today, the rabbi will be discussing Parshas Vayera and the following topics, the critical role of fathers, who are our fathers, and choosing our mothers. Very intriguing. The month of Tevas is dedicated by Sylvia Levy and family in commemoration of the 10th yard site of her beloved father, Yitzhak ben Moshe. Yitzhak Sterenthal lived a life of purpose and unrelenting optimism. May his memory be a blessing. He was very responsible, firm, honest, and loyal. One could always count on his support and his word. Isaac's love of family and his quiet acts of kindness are transcendental. His family has deeply inspired is deeply inspired by his example, and they are forever transformed by his abundant blessings. This week's class is also dedicated to the memory of the beloved father of Dr. Joel Finkelstein, Eliezer Ben Yaakov Yosef Halevi. Without any further delay, uh, uh, Rabbi Akiva Zweig on Parshas Vayera. Good afternoon, everyone. As always, a pleasure to be with you, learning with you sharing with you, learning from you. Um, as Aaron Yehuda mentioned, we are commemorating both the yard site of Dr. Finkelstein's father, Eliezer ben Yaakov Yosef Halevi, and uh, what I was able to learn and glean from Dr. Finkelstein uh, and in my visit with him, uh, there's a lot to, to say, positive and important about his father. So maybe one week, um, he'll do a little sharing on that when he's ready. Um, also, of course, yes, it is the Henry and Lisa Menachary Parshishiwer, and we are very privileged uh, to be working with them and uh, celebrating the yard site as well of the father of Sylvia Levy, who was a very dear friend of my father, and the entire Levy, Behar, and uh, many other branches of that family are very beloved to all of us. We definitely wish an aliyah to the neshama of Yitzchak ben Moshe. Speaking of fathers, the title for today is The Critical Role of Fathers, Who Are Our Fathers? And uh, not lagging too far behind is choosing our mothers. And what I find really incredible is that we have certain specific references in our parsha, the fathers and mothers, that one would have thought could be taught anywhere in the Torah. And for some reason, uh, there's an emphasis here in Parsha Sva'ira both on fathers and mothers. Let me begin with the reference to the mothers because that's a little more obscure and it's not, so to speak, directly mothers, but it's a teaching of the rabbis based on the sentence 
when the Torah describes the lineage of Moshe and Aharon, the Torah first mentions the tribes of Reuven and Shimon and Levi. And we're going to get a little bit more into that topic uh, later in this class. But for right now, in the lineage of the children of Levi, we find out that Aharon a Kohen, who's not a Kohen yet, Aharon marries a woman by the name of Elisheva. Elisheva's father is named Aminadav, and Elisheva's brother is named Nachshon. And Nachshon is famous for having jumped into the Red Sea as the first person to kind of demonstrate that he is willing to uh, go to any lengths to follow God's command, even to jump into the ocean, because apparently this was going to be the beginning of the splitting of the Red Sea, and Nachshon jumps in first. So Rashi says something very interesting. He says, the fact that the Torah tells us that the brother of Elisheva is Nachshon teaches us that when a person marries a woman, Hanose Isha, when a person marries a woman, he needs to check her brothers. He needs to investigate about the nature of the brothers. And no say Isha, I'm just quoting you this uh, Rashi, it's uh, chapter 6, sentence 23. From here we learn, A person who marries a woman, no say, marries a woman, needs to check her brothers. And my question is really very simple. In Torah Judaism, the stages of marriage are actually first Kiddushin and then Nisuin. Uh, what makes a legal wife is kiddushin. Uh, for what we do today is, for example, giving the ring and saying, you are betrothed to me. That creates the actual marriage. From the moment that the woman accepts the ring, there is a law that this woman is considered to be a married woman. She's considered married. Uh, so anything that happens afterwards with this woman know that this woman is married. Then there's a second stage of marriage called Nisuin, which today we call chuppah, or the yichud room, or both. And that's when the woman enters the husband's domain by going into his property, or some facsimile of something representing his domain, like the chuppah, that's called Nisuin, and that's the finishing uh, stage of marriage. So my question is very simple. If a person needs to check out the brother in order to decide whether or not the woman is fitting, it shouldn't say Hanose Isha, it should say Hamakadesh Isha. That's the first stage of marriage, right? He's not stopping in the middle of the marriage, right? Before, you know, we could have a certain, nowadays we have a ceremony called reading the Ketubah to, you know, kind of separate the, you know, the, the Kiddushin and the Nisuin, right? Instead of doing that, we could simply um, say, okay, now it's time to question the brother and see who the brother is, right? Right underneath the chuppah before we actually do that. We'd say, oh, let's find out who this woman is. The problem is that it's already too late at that point to start investigating who the brother is, right? You're already married. You gave her the ring, and now you're doing the no say part, the nisuin part. So it doesn't seem to resonate well that the rabbis say, ham no say isha, sarich, livdok ba'acheha. And even, yes, when uh, Kiddushan and Nisuin happen together, you know, it's a, a little bit easier to say, well, if you're going to do it before the Nisuin, then obviously you're going to do it before the Kiddushan. It doesn't make sense to say it this way. What the rabbi should seemingly really say is harotze, one who wants Likadesh Isha to betroth a woman and make her his legally wedded wife, he should first, 
first to make it clear that that's what you're doing. So we're going to come by and give an exp- come back to this and give an explanation. But the point that I just want to mention is that um, this is seemingly telling us about how to choose the mother, right? This is telling us how to choose the woman that we're going to marry. And the suing should be uh, a lot about having children because really uh, before uh, relations would be the Nisui. Okay, so I'm just pointing out an area in the Parsha, and this is an example that I'm referencing of seemingly this could be taught anywhere in the Torah, especially one would have thought we would be more likely to learn this idea either earlier by the forefathers, which would be problematic if we think about Yitzhak, Rivka, and Lavan. Also an interesting question. You know, you would think that uh, Lavan would be, <clears throat> don't marry this girl. Right. But okay, more more to be said about that. Or we should find it later in the Torah when the Torah talks about marriage. There should be some kind of lesson there about looking into the family or looking into the brother, etc. OK, we'll come back to that. Now, let's go back to the critical role of the fathers and just share, you know, a two word Rashi that, in my opinion, is extremely difficult. So the second sentence in the Torah, chapter six, sentence two, says, I appeared to Abraham to Yitzchak and to Yaakov with the name Kael Shakai, which means the powerful God that either puts limits in creation or he has the power to do anything he wants. It's a question of how to understand Kael Shakai, El Shaddai in the Hebrew. Ushmi Hashem and my name, the Tetragameton, Yudke I did not make known to them this name, the Yudke Vavke. Now that's a very interesting subject, but here's the stunning Rashi. So it says, I appeared to my the forefathers with Kale Shakai, as opposed to Yudke Vavke, the four letter name, the Tetragameton, says Rashi, guess what? The Eira El Ha'avos. I appear to the forefathers. As if we don't know that Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are the forefathers. We, we know this, right? Sorry, I don't know what happened. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Yes. Something. something I, th- just... I think we heard you. I mean, I heard you. Okay. Um, so, what is Rashi doing, saying that I appear to the forefathers? The Torah says Avram is Yaakov. So Rashi says, by the way, in case you haven't read any Chumash until this point, or in case you don't say Shmona Esrei, or in case you have zero Jewish tradition, um, Avram is Yaakov are the forefathers of us. Really. It's like a stunning idea that Rashi should go out of his way to say, you know, Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, that's appearing to the others. So that really needs a major explanation. I saw some commentaries that want to explain it. In my opinion, what they're saying doesn't really at all fit in, or seemingly, at least to me, doesn't make sense. I can't understand uh, that answer. So I want to come back and discuss that. So what is the idea of saying Avram Yitzchak Yaakov is the forefathers? And then... In addition to all of this, you have to understand, of course, why is it that the Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov Hashem appears to Kael Shakai, whereas now the Torah is going to heavily emphasize the idea of the Yudke Vavke. You know, what is the idea of saying to the Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov was Kael Shakai, and now that's changing? Why is it changing now? What is happening now that it somehow makes sense to be appearing in the name Yudke Vavke, but to the forefathers? It was only Kael Shakai. 
And then that kind of leads to our question of who are our forefathers and what does the Torah teach us about how to define a forefather, which leads us to another really interesting section in the Parsha uh, after this paragraph where Hashem says to Moshe that you should tell the people I'm going to take them out. And he mentions the four languages of redemption. And then Moshe says, hey, you know, I spoke to the people. They don't want to listen to me. And then Hashem says, go to Paro. And Moshe says to Hashem, hey, look, if the Jewish people didn't listen to me, Paro is not going to listen to me. And then Hashem says, listen, you got to go and take them out. You and Aaron got to go to Paro, got to go to the Jewish people, got to take them out. Then we have this incredible, literally incredible digression in the Torah, where the Torah then says, by the way, you know who, who are the heads of the houses of the fathers of the Jewish people? Who are the heads? Eva Rashe de Savosam. That's chapter six, sentence 14 in our parsha, And it mentions the children of Reuven, the children of Shimon, the children of Levi, and Levi are done in a little bit of a longer listing. Because after all, says Rashi, what we're doing over here is trying to give yichus to Moshe and to Aharon. Yichus, everybody know yichus, pedigree. Trying to mention the yichus of Moshe and Aharon. So listen to what's happening. Here we are in Parshas Ba'era. Moshe is in the middle of telling Hashem, uh, by the way, Hashem, these Jewish people not really listening. Power is not going to listen. This is after Moshe already complained to Hashem that I went to Paro and he made the situation worse. In the middle of all this, the Torah says, you know what? Really, we should be telling you about the yichus of Moshe and Aaron. Really? This should come in last week's parasha. When the Torah first introduces the idea that Hashem tells Moshe that Moshe, you're going to go with Aaron and, and speak to Paro. That's when the Torah might seemingly want to tell us about the Yichus of Moshe and Aaron. Not in the middle of the story, after they already went to Moshe and Aaron, after they already went to Paro, after Moshe complains, after Hashem continues to tell Moshe to do things, and Moshe continues to, you know, give pushback. Now you want to tell me the Yichus of Moshe and Aaron? Why? But let's also ask the other obvious and stunning question. That's what I'm referring to, that it's a major digression. We're happy to see Henry got out of the snow. Uh, I didn't know that it was still in California. <laughs> um, I guess he's not in California. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll talk about that at, at the end. So the, aside from everything else, why are we talking about Reuven and Shema? You want to tell me the Yichos of Moshe? Why in the world are you talking about Reuven and Shimon? Like, really? Oh, by the way, we can't start listing anything about Levi until we tell you about Reuven and Shimon. Then to kind of finish off this question, what ends up happening is we mentioned Reuben and Shimon and Levi, and then we stop. We start with a sentence that says, Ela Now, who are we talking about? These are the heads of their fathers. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the Jewish people. The sentence right before says that Hashem sent Moshe and Aaron to go take B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. It doesn't say Hashem said, go take out the tribes of Reuben, Shimon, and Levi, right? Hashem said to go take the B'nai Yisrael out of Egypt, and then the sentence comes after that and says, oh, these are the heads of the houses of their fathers, and you only list Reuven and Shimon and Levi, as if the other tribes don't count. Yehuda, Yisachar, Zerulon, all the rest of them, they, they don't count? Like, what is going on in the text? It's, it's really, really annoying, to say the least. Now, a Rashi explanation, uh, and I've, I've given you some of it so far, is that we want to tell you about the Yuthos of Moshe and Aaron, and uh, then Rashi says, and once we're doing that, we start according to the order of their birth. That's what we're doing. We're starting according to the order of their birth. 
Why? Why, why do you need to start according to the order of their birth? So what I would like to suggest, and I'm not going to go into the whole explanation now, this is what, you know, there's a foundation for this that really uh, I spoke about on Wednesday. So if anybody heard the Wednesday share, it'll be more helpful to understand it. But it, we don't need to go into that whole share to just use a piece of that uh, class to explain what's happening here. A major thing that the Parsha is dealing with here is the concept of the process of helping both the Jewish people and Egypt come to terms with their choices regarding slavery and freedom. So Paro and his people are being taken through a process here by which they have to decide, are they going to let these people go or not? And that's a process. And Hashem gives them the first five times, even before Hashem hardens the heart of Paro. Then there's the second five times. There's all the reactions of the Egyptians. But the same thing is happening on the side of the Jewish people. What are the Jewish people going to choose and their process, right? Are the Jewish people going to choose to be, you know, behind Moshe and Aaron, or are they going to complain? Like, for example, in the end of last week's parsha, when Moshe and Aaron go and speak to Paro, the situation gets worse, and Moshe and Aaron are confronted by the Jewish leaders themselves, complaining, "Hey, you've given Paro a sword in his hand to kill us!" Right? So there's a whole dynamic that's happening in this entire story that's called the process of the Egyptians and the process of the Jews. Okay, that's the the underpinning and the more. Uh, a lot more can be said about that. If you have the chance and you haven't heard it, please see the Wednesday class and there's also a transcript of it. But for our purposes, we have to understand that the leaders that take a people through a process need to be fatherly. A father has to know how to take children through a process, through the challenges of life with insight, with awareness of the challenges that are happening, with patience, with the ability to deal with the failures of the children and come back and speak to them again. As I mentioned to the Yeshiva Bakken last night, you know, part of the message here is tell them what I told you to tell them, tell them again and tell them again and tell them again and tell them again. Because yeah, they're not going to really get it the first, second, third, fourth. It might take 10 times. It might take a lot of times to tell your children the same lesson. Uh, I was speaking to people earlier this week and, you know, very often, we only appreciate what our parents have taught us much, much later in life. It takes us time. We have to be willing to help our children go through the process. That is radically different than being the type of leader that says, hey, God told me to tell you guys, bah, 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 bah. you do whatever you want with it. Okay, that's what God said. See you later. I did my job. Right? That would be like a parenting style that says, well, I told them, you know, now it's out of my hands. I don't have to think about what happens next. That's not taking children through a process. And so therefore, specifically, after Moshe himself complains, hey, God, you made the situation worse. And Hashem says, I appeared to the forefathers and I never implied to them that the purpose of my appearing to them was for their sake. I wasn't appearing to the fathers for their sake that they will get the land. Sure, in the future, they're going to get the land. But that's not the point. The point was to develop a children that would eventually have a covenantal relationship with me in the future. And those people will get the land. Kale Shakai means I appear to them. I'm all powerful. I set limits. 
But what it's really all about is not about what's happening right now. It's about developing a relationship by which the fruits will be born later. So says Rashi, I appear to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, not as individuals as the greatest of their generations and these incredible pioneers in the sense that they're great people. I appear to them because of their fatherhood, because of the children that they're going to create. The nature of my relationship with them was built on the future results of their children. That's what Rashi's saying. I didn't appear to them as the individuals, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. I appeared to them because of the fathers that they were becoming and would be for their offspring. So when it comes time to appoint Moshe and Aharon that way, where it's not just about, hey, look, go to the people and tell them God is here and God will redeem them. That happened in last week's parsha, and the people believed that God is here and God is going to redeem them. That's fine. They accept it. Yes, that is the message from God. And then they have this problem that the situation got much worse and they don't know how to handle it. And neither do Moshe and Aaron. They don't tell them how to handle it. They don't say, listen, guys, this is a process. It's going to take time. We have to be patient. We have to ask ourselves if we are ready to leave. We have to ourselves challenge ourselves to our own repentance and our own willingness to go into a desert, etc. They don't do that. Now, in this week's parish, Hashem is telling Moshe and Aaron, guys, your job is to deal with these people. It's not only to be a mouthpiece of a message and tell them what God said. You have to have a relationship with these people where you care about them and take them through a process. Well, guess who are the three greatest examples of the children of Yaakov that Yaakov had to take through a process? Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. At the time of the brachos, Yaakov is literally chastising these children because he knows. I can't chastise them earlier because maybe they're not going to stay by my side. Maybe they're not going to want to be on the team. He picks the most crucial moment in his life, which is the end of his life, to tell them what he needs to tell them, to rebuke them in the way that hopefully now they can absorb and they know is not in his self-interest, but it's to help them be the people that they need to become. It's those three children. And those three children, by the way, always have a focus on the entire Jewish people. It's an amazing thing. Reuven is always concerned about what's happening in the dynamic of the children. For example, Yaakov is choosing Rachel. I want to make sure to bring Leah flowers. Leah I'm sorry, Rachel dies. What's happening with, with Leah? I need to move the bed. Right? This is Reuven. Hey, Yosef. Brothers don't like Yosef. I also don't like Yosef. I need to make sure to get Yosef back home. Now, he was wrong on so many levels, but what's he thinking about? He's thinking about what's happening with all these people. And even, even when uh, Yosef uh, is holding on to Shimon and Mitzrayim, Reuven says, hey, you can kill my two sons so that we can go down and get food for the rest of us. Reuven has that tremendous perspective, and for sure Shimon and Levi, in their attacking of Shechem, in their saving Dina, which, by the way, Shaul ben Akhtani, who's mentioned in our parsha, was the love that Shimon had for Dina, that he convinced Dina to leave Shechem, and he would marry her. That's according to one opinion in the rabbis. Shaul ben Akhtani is the son of Shimon and Dina. He is giving himself to his sister as a wife, so that she will leave Shechem. 
And of course, Levy is the same thing. Now, of course, Levy emerges with the greatest sense of responsibility for the people. The tribe of Levi, beginning in last week's parsha with Amram and Yocheved, and then continuing in this week's parsha, we're talking about Aharon and Moshe being the children of Levi. That certainly is they are focused on the future of the Jewish people. Should we have children? Amram said no. Yocheved and Miriam say yes, you definitely have to have children. All of this is because these three tribes come out by the development of Yaakov to be tremendous fathers of the Jewish people. Ela, Rashe, Beisavosam, specifically these three, specifically the three that were chastised by Yaakov. And Yaakov did an incredible fatherhood job at not distancing them, at keeping them on the team explaining to them their problems, but also some of their greatness, they become the paragon examples of the fathers of all the Jewish people. And what's the fatherhood? Got to take three people through a process just like Ruven, Shimon, and Levi went through their own process. And so therefore the Torah very beautifully interjects in this story when Moshe and Aaron are being told, you got to go back to power. And by the way, you're going to have to go back to him many times because I'm going to harden his heart and I'm going to give him many miracles. But you're going to have to go again and again. And you're going to have to measure, you know, and temper the behaviors of the Jewish people and their responses. You're going to have to handle them. Rashi says you're actually going to have to, you know, bear their their um, complaints and all the difficult things that they're going to do to you. That's the job of a father, not only a leader. And then the Torah tells us, when it comes time to choosing the mother that we mentioned, marry the woman, investigate the brothers, the Torah is not saying that what I think most people understand. Most people say, listen, before you decide whether or not to marry this woman, you better get to know the brothers so you get a better insight into who these people are. That's not, that's not the case. You're marrying this woman. You know why you're marrying this woman? Because this woman is fantastic. And you don't judge a woman by her brothers. You decide to marry this woman, like Yitzchak decides to marry Rivka. It doesn't matter that her brother Lavan literally tried to destroy the Jewish people. No. But you have to know who the brother is because your children are going to resemble the mother's brother. That's what the Talmud says. Most children resemble the mother's brother. And if you want to be able to understand the challenges of your children that you're going to produce through the Nisui, through the marriage, the intimacy stage, you better know who it is because those challenges are likely to come up. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be wicked, but it means that they are going to be experiencing similar challenges to the mother's brother. And you have to know that because that's what you have to deal with as a father, because you have to take your children through the process. And when you're choosing the mother because she's a fantastic woman, that's great. But don't forget, you know, don't be like those, those parents, those fathers that think that's the mother's domain. You know, the children are her problem. No, the children are the father's problem. The father has to understand from the beginning what is going to be the development of his children. That's in the fatherhood role. Now, if you think about it, Nachshon ben Aminadav, as Rebichil pointed out, is one opinion in the Talmud. If you say he's the one that jumped into the Red Sea, I want to ask you a question. Was he being brave and courageous and appropriately self-sacrificing? Or was he being impetuous and hot-headed, which is a typical problem that firstborns have, i.e. Reuven, Pachaz Kamayi. Which one was it? 
And so you'll say, well, obviously, he became a leader. It was great. The Red Sea split. He, he did the right thing. So let me ask you another question. What about Nadav and Avihu, who are his nephews, when they run to bring a fire on the inauguration day of the Mishkan that Hashem did not command? Were they being fast and impetuous or were they being courageous and dedicated? Well, apparently they were being impetuous and not appropriate in crossing that line. That's a challenge that Aharon's children had because he married the sister of Nachshon. And the Torah is telling us that that is the role of fatherhood and that is the role of Moshe and Aharon. And so therefore, really what we need to be thinking about today for our children is what's the challenge of the next generation? Now, if we throw up our hands and say, like some of my friends I know, before everything happened in Israel, you know, whenever the whole woke stuff or all the, you know, all, all the stuff that we've spoken about, you know, comes to the conversation, they would look at me and say, hey, that's not my problem. That's my children's problem. And I say, that's not a father. We have to be preparing our children for what's going to be, who are the soldiers that are going to fight in the future for the Jewish people? Because it doesn't seem like it's the Jewish children that have graduated from the United States Ivy League colleges in the last 20 years. Does not seem like those are going to be the children. So what are we going to do? And how are we going to help our children whom we love face these challenges? How are we going to help them to deal with the new generation of challenges that exist today? So if we don't want to take the role of Moshe and Aharon, then we're not going to live up to the yichus of Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, and we're not really going to be fathers. That's who the fathers need to be. And it's the same thing in choosing the mothers. It's not appropriate, good enough, for a person to say that I'm marrying the right woman, and they're totally justified. They can pick the right woman, even though the brother is a lover. That's fine. But you can't leave it at that. You have to say, okay, but now as a couple, a husband and wife, we have to think about what are the challenges our children are going to have? What's it likely to be? How are we going to coach them through that? How are we going to really, really be as a father to them? And then we have to remember that Hashem wants the unfolding of the future generations. And that is why he has a relationship with Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. It's not because of who Avraham and Yitzchak Yaakov were. It's because they chose to be fathers. And we're willing to be the pioneers and build for the future and get promises that were not kept about Eretz Yisrael, et cetera, et cetera, because they were choosing to be the fathers and take the responsibility for those next generations. That is the way to grow an incredible relationship with Hashem. So God willing, we think about our own individual families. We think about the positions of leadership that we have in our communities. We have to be patient. We have to be thinking about, look, look what Reuven and Shimon and Levi went through. Look how Yaakov Avinu dealt with them. And look what the results can be if we're really willing to be the fathers that we need to be. And included in that, I'm just going to conclude with this. Some people will at least find this attractive, is that there is a time for heavy-duty Musr. It might be on the deathbed, but there is a time for that. We just have to remember to really think about when is the right time for Musr, and how do we also let our children go through an individual process? Let's take comments and questions.
Henry, you want to go first? Uh, I'm still recovering from the 15 below temperatures <laughs> outside in Montana. Are you in Colorado? Montana. Montana. Wow. Yeah, the Kiru wow. camp. So. Wow. Oh, I want to tell you something, Rabbi Zweig. Yes. Yes. My rabbi used you. to say cooking used to be a process. Now you just put it into the microwave. Making compote used to be a process. Making jelly used to be a process. And he says this fast process is never is the right thing. So this is a tremendous lesson that you just gave. That processing means nothing happens in, in, in one second. And you have to work on it and it takes time. You don't, you don't become you don't become a, this big person without the first time you learn the one one vata gamara like it's a process. This is um, an excellent muscle. I really appreciate it, you know. Thank you. Thank you. I used to hear from another marshal. He says, very interesting. He was talking. He says, a microwave, he doesn't know if between Basar Vachalov, if you allow to use it, could be a lot of uses between Basar Vachalov because it's not really cooking. But in Hechinach, if you're teaching a child, all of a sudden you tell me you're not supposed to use the same pot for milk and flesh, all of a sudden you're using the same microwave. So in Hechinach, it's not, it's not, the process is not there. So it says, not everything that you allow to, the process of Hechinach could, could, could practice it. So that's I think it's the perfect share. I'm not even yeah. arguing with you this week. <laughs> Listen, it took it took a few years, but you went through the process, and now we're good. <laughs> oh, okay. I I took it in the gut. <laughs> See you on Shabbos. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I don't know who I, I don't I don't know who's next. I mean, Yehuda, you wanna you wanna take over, or should I? Uh, who's next? I, I, I see no upraised hands, but I do see okay. two comments in the chat, if you would like to have a look at those. Okay, maybe while I'm doing that, uh, we'll, we'll listen to Dr. Patterson. Yes, uh, the, 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 oh. there, there was just a question regarding were Kiddushin and the suing done together by Rashi's time. If you can address that, then we can go to... Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know for sure when it started together. Um, I don't know for sure. Don't know for sure. Sorry. I don't know the answer, Dr. Hurwitz. Or someone else? Anybody know when it mostly started happening that it was back-to-back -back like we have today as opposed to a year apart? What was the question? I didn't hear the question. When did Paul Yisrael start doing Kedushin and Nisuin back-to-back instead of like a year apart? I can go so far as to say that it was more than 30 years ago. <laughs> Probably after the Gomorrah's time. Yeah, so he's asking specifically, was it by Rashi's time? I guess so. Much before, oh, it had to be in the Gemara's time. No, they, they, Gemara they, they, said that you used to take a woman over the street and used to, used to marry her. And then they no, used to come not, and made a desire. No, they didn't. Whatever. Okay. Don't know, don't no, know for sure. No, it, it depends. In the Middle Ages, at the time of Rashi, first of all, because of the rules of the ghetto, they used to have to marry them off before bas mitzvah and bar mitzvah. So you had children in the Middle of Ages that were nine years old marrying somebody seven years old. So it, it, the whole thing was messed up because of that. And they didn't get live together for, you know, for years. Okay. And I, I, think I, actually read, and I think I also actually read a novel of Shalom Ash, which it took it took place at the time of Chamelnitsky, which implied that they waited. They didn't get married yeah, maybe, right maybe, away. But really, maybe there were different uh, things at different times. I don't know enough. Okay. Um, 
Yes. Uh, Ohad also asked me to mention that he's posting the video in the chat, right, Ohad? Okay. Thank you, Ohad. Uh, anyone else? Dr. Patterson? Uh, yes. Thank you, Rabbi, as always. Um, you raised a, a really crucial question yet again concerning uh, fathers. Who is a father? What makes a father? What is the responsibility of a father? What is the father's connection to children? Uh, why is uh, is it now? When the issue of fathers comes to bear with uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, that the the four-letter name is introduced. Um, father, father is the future. I mean, the future is entrusted to the father. In a way, the father is who he is not. In other words, the father uh, has heirs. The father uh, teaches his children for the sake of a future, for the sake of their future which is covenant. Without covenant, there's no future. Without future, there's no meaning. The father is the bearer of meaning. Uh, and his children are his heirs, okay? Which is a different level of responsibility, right? He's entrusted with an inheritance. A shinantam levanepa, teach this to your children, repeat this. Not just shinantam, is repeat it, right? It's a process, like you say. Uh, teaching is a process, and the, the, the four-letter name contains time. Uh, it's, it's, time is what unfolds, and the liberation from Egypt is a liberation from a kind of timelessness where they're doing time or killing time or wasting time, but they have no time. It's not until the revelation at Mount Sinai the revelation of a relationship that had already been in place, right? You know, Yaakov wakes up from the dream, says, God was here all along and I didn't realize it. The relationship was always there, but the revelation happens at Mount Sinai. It's a revelation of a future, a responsibility of what it means to be a father. And uh, and the fathers go and they, you know, they name the, the heads of the tribes in, in, in a number of places in the Torah, right? So it's pivotal. Uh, so it's really foundational to, to everything that is unfolding in the Parsha and it's about to unfold. Anyway, a few thoughts. Beautiful, really. Uh, the, the giving meaning, the future, the repetition, really, and the time. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Really appreciate it, Dr. Patterson. Dr. Finkelstein? taking it in it was a, a beautiful uh beautiful uh uh shares there i so i'm mostly i'm i'm chewing on what you said i thought i i you know it's funny i i passed over this every year i never thought to myself why ruben shimon and levy <laughs> it makes no sense why they would give this before so i thought i finally have a juicy answer to that appreciate it excellent well um if you want to come back on, let us know. But it's great to have you here today. We hope that you're recovering. And uh, Hashem should send you a full nechama. Thank you so much for sponsoring the class in honor of Absolutely. my father. Definitely will say in the coming weeks some, some more about him. Thank you so much. Excellent. Um,
Okay. Anybody else for today? Arun Yehuda, you want to say anything? Anybody else? Well, it, it's um, th thank you again for for, for an amazing share. Uh, unrelated to the discussion, but but in the discussion of, of of the Ovos, that's at the beginning of the parsha, and how Hashem revealed Himself uh, differently to Moshe. Uh, it brings to mind two things. It brings to mind how how somehow uh, Jung was very influenced. Uh, by these types of archetypes, and 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 we can see these themes of, across across the Torah, and uh, to me specifically, the psychologically, I think, and maybe Joel is better qualified to comment on this or other people, but there is such a difference between believing in a promise, a hundred percent with full faith, and seeing the promise fulfilled. In, in your life, so so I I think that 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 maybe the the in, in that initial comment that you that you make and Rashi says this also that uh, that it happened when when Hashem said Kel Shakai, which is which is die, which means stop, and maybe some sort of a a, a withdrawal of His from the process of creation to to let us do more and and fulfill our mission. Nonetheless, I think this kind of explains that it wasn't a full withdrawal, that if if somehow we failed in, in fulfilling that mission, Hashem would still step in and make it happen. Whereas with, with the Ovos, it, it, it appears like although there was divine providence, it was it was more of an individual struggle and less this extraordinary divine intervention that happened with Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. So he's saying, here, you've got more proof now, because that's what we're asking for always. We're always asking for proof. And, and I think that evoking the patriarchs for us is such a powerful thing that, that, that we just do it by rote and perhaps don't understand enough how meaningful it can be, um, as you say. So, so it's, it's a difference of knowing who your father is and, 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 and adopting that whole experience, especially during the davening, during the Shmonesh. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, more understanding about the forefathers would uh, stand us in good stead. As you say, it's a tremendous uh, merit for us. And being fathers with, the, with our children and with our friends, we, all, we could all use uh, some people guiding us and helping us. Okay, everyone, wishing you all a great Shabbos. Um, I, I just uh, want to thank everyone. Ohad is asking me to remind everyone to follow the Talmudic uh, University Torah channel on YouTube, I think. Right? Is that right, Ohad? Um, and uh, maybe we'll post the link. The, the, the video link is on, on our chat, on our Friday chat. Thank you all for being with us. I'm going to press stop.